0: This is recording number 10996, from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 8, 2012. This is the seventh message in a study of the Bible's book of Hebrews. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Way of the New Covenant. Way back in the heart of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, and then turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at both chapter 7 and chapter 8 today. And don't panic, I know it's a lot of verses, we're not going to read them all. But we are going to be looking at what these chapters tell us about the way that Christ Jesus has opened up for us. In the 10th chapter of this book is the you'll find the, the verses that, to my understanding, are the key verses of this book that says that Jesus has opened up for us a new and living way. How many of you are thankful for that? Yes. I am thankful to God that Jesus Christ has opened up a new and living way to relationship, right relationship, deep relationship, intimate relationship with God. And that's what that means. And so as we've been making our way through this book, each week we've been looking at another facet of this wonderful gem, this beautiful, rich treasure of Jesus's pathway, that, that Jesus has opened up for us, uh, this new and living way. And today we come to chapter 7 and 8 where we're going to be looking, about, looking at how this new and living way is the way of the new covenant the way of the new covenant now before we go any further um, let me try to define covenant um, most of us are are familiar with the term contract or the word contract and how a contract um, is an agreement between two parties and usually that contract or that agreement would spell out the duties and responsibilities of each party and the benefits that are gained by each party for entering into this contract. In other words, I do for you and you do for me. I do this, you do that. And there's an agreement about that. Now, the word covenant can be used somewhat interchangeably with the word contract. It's synonymous in in some ways, but not entirely. And the word covenant has, I know this is a bit of an exaggeration. So those of you who are very detail-oriented, give me some grace here. I know that this is a bit of an exaggeration. But I believe that that this is the context of the way that the scripture that we're going to read uses this word covenant. Covenant is an agreement. But it is an agreement that's one-sided. I will do for you, period. Not I will do if. Not I will do for you if you do for me. I will do for you. Often, I will, and not just me, but I will use when I'm dealing with couples that are preparing for marriage, I will talk to them about how what they are entering into is not a marriage contract, but a covenant. I'll love you as long as you love me back. That's a contract. I will be faithful to you as long as you're faithful to me. I will give you uh, an anniversary present if you'll make sure that I get to go to the game when I want to. (laughs) Right? Uh, That's contractual relationship. Covenant relationship is I will love you no matter what you do. I will be faithful to you no matter what you do. And when I tell couples when they stand before God and whoever's presiding over that, that marriage um, s- ceremony, and it's so much more than a ceremony, I paused there, I didn't want to just use that word, but we all know what I'm talking about. As you stand there before God and the witnesses of your family, a minister, whoever is presiding, that's what's happening. There's a pledge of I love you no matter what. I covenant to give myself to you with abandon, no matter what. And that's the way that this word is being used here in this passage. The new covenant. For this Melchizedek, verse 1 tells us, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And I, I really regret not having the time uh, to go into detail about, because we're stepping into the middle of a... Of a of a conversation that the writer of the book of Hebrews is having with uh, his listeners. And he's already covered the introduction of this guy named Melchizedek. And we have already talked about him before. And so I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. But it may, I would just want to acknowledge that it may be new to some of you. You may not have been in on that part of our, of our study Um, but I think that uh, you you can kind of get the sense of what's going on here but this guy named Melchizedek his name means Melchizedek means king of righteousness and then it also says he was the king of Salem that probably has to do with uh, that that he was uh, the king of what became Jerusalem king of Salem and that word Salem means peace so here's a guy, he's the king of righteousness, king of peace. And um, it says that he met Abraham as Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the first Jew, as he was coming back from a rescue mission. He was rescuing his nephew Lot and Lot's family and others from from uh, the towns that, and region that Lot lived in from uh, a, uh, a power that had... Uh, captured them, seized them, taken all of their possessions. Abraham has triumphed over them. He's on his way back and he meets this guy Melchizedek who is not only a king but a priest, it says. King of Salem, priest of the Most High God. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, that's what his name means, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. This guy Melchizedek, as far as we know, now we know it's not true, that everyone... Has a father. But it says here that in verse 3, he, we are given no genealogy. That's what it's meaning here when it says, without father, without mother, without genealogy. So this guy steps, in one verse, he steps onto the pages of, of biblical history and introduced to us as the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, a priest of the most high God, but we're not told anything about where he comes from or where he goes. And in the next verse, he steps off the page of biblical history. And then we re-encounter him. Here, there's a few other places in the scripture where his name shows up. But we don't know anything about his, his genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. And it's, it's, he's setting up a comparison here. It's not saying that this guy, Melchizedek, You know, didn't have parents, it doesn't mean that he didn't have a a day he was born and a day his life ends, but it says we know nothing about that. So symbolically, he represents somebody who doesn't have any genealogy, who has no big beginning and no end, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. And and the writer of the book of Hebrews is using this guy to give us more of a sense of who Jesus is and what he's like. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Verse seven, Now behold, or excuse me. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. And you've got to know that, that when the writer of this book says these words, he, he, he is huh, he's, he's touching the button that is the hottest one that the Jews have. Abraham. And he's saying this guy Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. This guy have, that we have one verse of historical <laughs> reference to <laughs> is greater than Abraham. Why? Because Abraham gave tithe to him. And so then we come, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but in Psalm verse 110 verse 4, God says, in reference to the Messiah... That he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And see what, what, what the writer of the book of Hebrews is doing is he's setting up the stage for these people to understand that Jesus is their Messiah. Greater than Abraham, greater than the prophets. Jesus is the Messiah. And he's like this guy Melchizedek because God said that he would raise up a priest after that order not the order of the of the Levites I'll come back to that in a minute now verse uh, 15 and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment that's like the Ten Commandments and the other rules and regulations that God gave to the people of Israel that governed their life he says uh, he, he's not come. This one who has come as a, as a priest of a different order, he is not come according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Take note of that. Verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. How many of you have kept the Ten Commandments? Not me. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Verse 22, By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Verse 25, Therefore He is also able to save to the uttermost. Don't you like that? Save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Chapter 8 verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a, he is also mediator or the go between, the one who bridges the gap. He's a he he is also a mediator of a better covenant. So here's that whole phrase again, a new, a better, different covenant. Which, has, which was established on better promises. Verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make, with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. You ready? Mm -hmm. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So let's talk a little bit more about this new covenant. First of all, this new covenant, this new agreement. And remember, when Jesus on the night of his betrayal was with his disciples there in the upper room and he took... The bread, he broke it. He passed it to them. He said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and passed it to them. And he said, this, this is a new covenant. This represents my shed blood. This fruit of the vine, this, this wine, this grape juice, however you want to describe it, this represents. When you drink of this, you are imbibing a new agreement between God and man. It doesn't mean he wasn't saying that the old one, the old covenant was bad. It wasn't like God said, wow, that, I really goofed up on that. I need to start over again. Let's do a do-over here. I need a new covenant. No, it, it wasn't that at all. Can I tell you that on our 25th wedding anniversary, Sue and I went to Hawaii, our favorite place on the planet, <laughs> and the pastor who presided over our wedding day We stood in his office together, and we renewed our wedding vows. On that day, I entered into a new covenant with my bride. It wasn't that the first covenant was bad, or that I made a mistake, or that I didn't mean what I said. When I stood there at age 19, before that same guy who was a lot younger than two... (laughs) Looked into the eyes of this dear lady and said, you know, and all the things that I said, I'd written my own vows and I, 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 I meant them with all my heart. But 25 years of living life together and raising a family changes your perspective. And there's a maturity that comes over, hopefully, you know, <laughs> over that period of years. So when I looked into that same woman's eyes, standing before the same guy, and pledged my love to her, again, on the 25th anniversary, I was entering into a new covenant based on better promises. The Bible, the Apostle Paul um, Describes how the old covenant, the old agreement that we, we, we find mostly in the Old Testament, I mean, mostly that's where we find it, sorry. <laughs> that's where we find it. Um, I'll describe it a little bit more in a minute, but that, that old covenant, Paul says, was a schoolmaster, it was teaching us what we didn't know. It was teaching us that we were separated from God and that there was no way we could personally bridge that gap. The old covenant said this is the standard of righteousness. But none of us could meet it. None of us could measure up to it. None of us could earn favor with God that way. We were so broken by sin, so far separated from God by sin that nothing we could do. There was no self-improvement process that could have bridged the gap between me and God. We needed a new covenant, but we would never have known that we needed a new covenant had we not had the first covenant that taught us, that was our schoolmaster, to help us know how we needed him. And how we needed his saving. We could not save ourselves. So this, this new covenant. Needed a new priesthood. There was the tribe of Levi. Which was the tribe that that Moses came from that was designated as the the priestly tribe that served the temple, served the people as the kind of the the officiators at the sacrifices that were being offered to to try to cover the the iniquities of the people and all of that. But if there was going to be a new covenant, there needed to be a new priesthood too. And so this new priest, high priest, Jesus, the Messiah, you know the, the thing about teaching is you always want to take people you want to take you want to take something that people know and help them from that to have a bridge that gets them to what they don't yet know and so he's saying you know about the levitical priesthood and and how that works and how they officiate at weddings and you know, uh, uh, circumcisions and how they they offer the sacrifices and they're the ones that are the go-between, between you and God. You know about the Levitical priesthood but that Levitical priesthood is all wrapped up in this old covenant that can't get you where you need to be. But, remember that guy Melchizedek? Think about him for a minute. Now, think about Jesus. A new priesthood officiates at a new covenant, the high priest that we need, God himself in flesh. The Bible tells us in this passage that he was an imperial priest. That means he was both priest and king. Both priest and king. No one before him could have ever fulfilled both of those roles. In fact, David, when he was king, closest thing we probably ever, or the people of Israel probably ever had to a, A a priestly king, he could not. God would not allow him to build a tabernacle because a king has to deal with stuff that uh, that uh, you know stuff having to do with righteousness and and um, um, making sure that everybody obeys the laws. And if you get out of line, that you're spanked, you know, and all that kind of stuff. A king is in charge of making sure that righteousness is is uh, in order. A priest is a minister of mercy. And the two can't really go together very well, except in Jesus. Amen. He can be both righteous and merciful at the same time. So he's an imperial uh, priest. And, and he's also eternal. He has no beginning, no end. Think about that. He has always been. You know, Jesus didn't all of a sudden um, become, you know, on Christmas night, or Christmas Eve, excuse me, christmas eve night he has always been and always will be and he is exalted by abraham himself and and in abraham this whole passage that we didn't read talks about how even the levitical priesthood was offering through through abraham their father gifts to this one who was greater than them so he was imperial eternal and exalted And this new covenant not only needed a new priesthood, it needed a new power. Because it says here the power of the old covenant, the flesh, was insufficient. I couldn't by myself and in my own power and by my own wits secure God's favor. To secure holiness. To bridge the gap between me and him. You know, because if you can imagine this, let's say I had a whiteboard here on an easel. I almost brought one today to illustrate this, but just pretend, you can imagine. I've got an easel here with a whiteboard on it and written on it are the Ten Commandments. Don't have any God, other gods before me. Don't make a carved image. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it all holy. Honor Father and Mother. All of those things, the Ten Commandments are there written on that whiteboard. And I'm, I'm over here looking at it and doing my best to try to make this external code that's out here, outside of me, part of me. Does that make sense? I, I'm doing everything I can to try to live up to that, but that code is outside of me. And my flesh is insufficient, as we all acknowledged a minute ago. None of us have measured up to that. So, none of us, if that was all there was, none of us could stand before God and say, I did it. I'm worthy of heaven. <laughs> Think again. You know, this is, it's not going to happen that way. So it needed, this new covenant needed a new power. And this passage that we, we read said that the new power that secured this new covenant was an eternal life. That Jesus... It says that they, they, this, the, what secured this better hope and better covenant was the power of an endless life. Why? How does that make sense? Well, death is only introduced because of sin. Death could get no grip on Jesus. The power of an endless life means that he was sinless on my behalf and on your behalf. He measured up. And on my behalf, he did so. On your behalf, he did so. The power of his endless life, that one who was sinless before, sinless now, and will be sinless forever, that one, the power of his endless life, has secured the basis for the offering of a new covenant, a new agreement. And we also... See here in this passage that not only did this new covenant need a new priesthood a new power but it also came with a new promise a new promise huh. verse 10 for this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days of <laughs> chapter 8 verse 10 says the Lord I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts the new promise that comes with this new covenant remember a covenant is God saying here's what I'll do for you here's what I pledge to do for you regardless of what you do or don't do this is what I'm going to do I'm going to put something that was external righteousness that used to be outside of you something you were trying to measure up to I'm gonna write it on your uh, mind and on your heart so that it's no longer something I'm striving to attain but something I'm living out have you noticed that since you've come to Christ that there are things that you find yourself preparing to do and you go wait a minute that doesn't seem right anymore why is that we sometimes we call it conscience I don't care what you call it it's the covenant of God when you came to Christ gave your life to him received his forgiveness You entered into the receiving end of a new covenant and that new covenant says, here's what I'm going to do for you, I'm going to write my law in your mind and in your heart. So it's not outside of you anymore, it's something inside, something, Paul Paul says that our nature is being changed, something transitioning the very deepest part of who I am. It says here, too, that not only will I write my law on your minds and on your hearts. God is pledging this. Remember, this is his covenant to us. I will write my law on your mind and on your heart, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. He said, I'm, here's another thing I'm giving you. This is another thing that's part of what I pledge to you. New covenant. Relationship. We're going to know each other. The God that is, on, is standing before you today and before me today, pledging once again, always, every day, every moment, pledging again His love to us, is a God who wants relationship. And, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest... He said, "He's saying that there's going to be a fellowship, a relationship. All will know me. So this this relationship that we have with God is something we will share with each other. That it's not a solo act. This is not a, you know, this is not just me on this journey, but we're on this journey together. Amen. This is what God is pledging to you." I'll write my law in your mind and in my heart, and you're going to know me, and you're going to share that knowledge and that, uh, that relationship with me with each other at the same time. And then he says, for I will be merciful to their, unrighteous, or, to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Forgiving, I pledge to you, God says, I pledge to you to be merciful to your unrighteousness. mercy forgiveness and then their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more and that is a word that, or that, that that phrase right there is wrapped up in a theological or doctrinal word called justification justification when you dear one came to faith in Christ crossed that boundary from doubt into faith and received the gift that he's offering you this, this pledge of covenant that he's offering to you made possible by a new priesthood and a new power. is one where he's, he's saying, I will justify you. As a kid in Sunday school, the way I learned to think about that word is that it means just as if I'd, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. It's one thing when someone forgives you. It's another thing when that forgiveness comes with such force that the entire record of whatever it was that needed to be, be forgiven is gone. Think about this. That, that verse right there says that the God who knows everything that can be known has chosen to forget your sin. He stands before you today, dear one, and he says, this is what I, this is what I pledge you. That you never have to come into my presence dragging with you the ball and chain of your shame. Ever. Ever. I pledge to you justification. No matter what you do. Remember, this is covenant. No matter what you do, this is what I give you. Justification. Just as if you'd never sinned.